Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward today to speaking to Abby Foote. Abby is a professional director with over 12 years of governance experience, including both publicly listed and crown companies. With qualifications in both law and accounting, Abby's career has covered both disciplines, focusing on corporate finance, treasury, and commercial transactions. Abby is chair of Z Energy and currently also serves on the boards of TVNZ, Sanford Limited, and Freightways Limited. Abby's previous governance roles include the Museum of New Zealand, Te Papa Tongarewa, Transpower New Zealand, Livestock Improvement Corporation, and the New Zealand Local Government Funding Agency. And having got to know Abby a little bit earlier this year myself, I know that she's also a strong advocate for encouraging diversity of thought, background, and perspective at the board table. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about her career journey today. Kia ora, Abby, and thank you very much for joining me. Hey, Anna. Thank you. Good. Well, Abby, I'd like to take you a little way back, if, if I may, for the first question. And I'd love to hear, when you were a child or a teenager, what were some of your career aspirations? Yeah, that's a fair way back. Look, to be honest, I, I can't remember having, having career aspirations as a kid. The first time I think I really started turning my mind to what I was going to do with my life was probably as part of the process around planning leaving school. So I guess that's in sort of late late teen years or mid teens. And I can I kind of have quite a distinct memory actually of going along to careers evenings and there not being an awful lot of options that seemed to be discussed. So and you know, like I'm I'm not that old, so it wasn't that long ago. But but you know, I, my strong recollection is that really the only three um, options that were open to somebody who was, you know, relatively good academically were law, commerce, or medicine. Mm-hmm. And I knew I did not want to do medicine; that didn't have any appeal to me. So I basically just decided to do the other two. <laughs> so I. I did a co-joint degree in, in law and commerce and thought, well, I'll figure out which one I want to use along the way. So even then, I didn't have a, a clear view as to what the career option would be for me with those two degrees. Mm. And it's interesting, you say sort of those almost distinct choices. And even now, you think about the kind of the roles that exist that wouldn't have even been thought of, you know, when when we were back at mm. school. So it's just sort of interesting to see how the how kind of the world changes. And then talk me through the kind of law and accounting degrees. What were the the perhaps the highlights and challenges of the first few years of your of your working life, your career? Yeah, so I probably I'm probably overly analytical about some of these decisions. So I can recall. So I with both degrees. They offered a fair degree of sort of holiday job 
possibilities with particularly law firms doing um, summer kayak internships and those sorts of things. So I did, I spent a summer at one law firm with still two years of my degree to go and they had a policy at that time that, that people could only intern once and then they had to, so look, I'm not sure the exact rationale for that. They changed it pretty quickly afterwards because what that meant was that any of us who had more than one year to go went and, and worked for another firm the following year. Um, and as part of that, my insight was that it would be harder to get back into a, into a law firm, which is quite a hierarchical structure, if I chose to do law later than it would be to transfer from law into a more um, commercial role out of that. So mm. so my decision was to go ahead and and take on a, a law a role in a law firm. So I started I started working at Trust McVeigh and my first year there was in ninety four and it was it was quite a pressured environment. So the policy that Russell McVeigh ran at the time was was up or out, which was basically if you you're not moving up the up the firm, then you would be asked to leave, uh, and that certainly brought a, a fair degree of of pressure in terms of you know meeting people's expectations. That was also the time before email and and computers, just but but it was so I was heavily involved in transactional work and I have very strong memories of having to spend many hours late at night feeding documents into fax machines or waiting for documents to come out of fax machines just to be able to, to kind of get on with the next part of the job. And at that time, you know, there was a real expectation that you would work long hours and show a, a real commitment to being there. So I can remember early on one of the more senior solicitors in the firm telling me that I, you know, really shouldn't leave before six o'clock even if I had nothing to do because it wouldn't look good. Mm. Um, and so so I think, you know, the environment has changed a lot since since those days, but certainly back then there was a real need to be seen to be there and and also an expectation of of really long hours, which, you know, you just, if you wanted to get ahead, that's what you did. The flip side of that is is that if you were prepared to put in that time and effort, you did get recognised and that recognition often came in the form of being able to work on bigger or more exciting deals and those sorts of things. So it was quite a high-pressure environment, which... You know, which I, I certainly feel in retrospect came with some challenges, but it, it did also come with some great opportunities and enabled me to probably to, to advance in that environment in a way that perhaps wouldn't have been so so possible in, in different environments. And it's interesting, I mean, that the law is, I wouldn't say notorious for long hours, but certainly it's, <laughs> it's known for some of that, and particularly when you're doing the transactional work. How did you cope or how did you find some degree of, of balance within that time? <laughs> I'm not sure that I did. Yeah. I, you know, like <laughs> I, I think actually in retrospect, you know, you basically just gave it everything. Mm. And I was younger and, and in those days too. I, I'm not so sure that we were as conscious as we are these days about well-being. Mm. I certainly spent probably about four or five months with 
something verging on chronic fatigue. But but otherwise, yeah, I think you just kind of gave it everything. And, you know, Friday night drinks had the reputation that some think they still do. And I, I don't know if that's still fair in law firms, but, you know, that was definitely a big sort of pressure release for people because the work environment was quite tough. Mm. And I like the way you described the kind of the law and accountancy piece or law and commerce being giving you options or my starting was law because that gave you potentially options to shift in the in the future and and you did actually at a fairly early age made a shift into governance I'd love to hear how did that decision come about yeah look well I think after after a while in law I realized that law firms weren't, weren't the environment that that I thought best suited me and I you know transactional law is is a bit of a luxury too in the sense that it's not perhaps strict advice giving in the way that some areas of law are. So from there, I continued to take quite deliberate steps away from from being a lawyer. So I went in-house where the role was much more about managing legal risk across, across big transactions rather than uh, from an in-house perspective and balancing kind of the the need of internal clients and, and external providers and getting the best out of them. And did the same actually for for a few years in uh, London, or about three years in London. And when I came back from London, I decided to to get out of law altogether and I um, took a job in Pharmac, managing their functions actually. So that was quite a broad role, uh, managing finance and HR and legal and um, and a number of other aspects of what was quite a small organisation. Mm. When I was then became pregnant with my first child, they were really not keen on part-time roles. And again, that's probably a bit of a measure of the time. So my eldest child is, is now 16, but then they at that time really couldn't get their head around the idea of, of people doing a role part-time. And the maternity pay provisions at that time were um, were not particularly beneficial either. So basically I resigned and thought, well, that's okay. I didn't want to be returning to work full-time with with my first child. And so I was at home basically being a full-time mum. And I was approached by a friend who I'd worked with right back in the Russell McVeigh days. And she had a connection into a listed um, company, Mike Perry Mortgages, that, and they were looking for somebody to join their board to meet the NZX requirements in terms of independent directors. Mm. And, you know, with quite a lot of foresight for the time, they had decided that what they needed to add to their board was, was a woman and somebody with a legal background. And so that's sort of how I got the opportunity. And yeah, so that was, I think I was 30, 31 maybe at the time. And I was given this opportunity to be an independent director on the board and sort of jumped at it in in many respects. It was great in terms of balancing the intellectual stimulation of of directorship with also being uh, at home with my young child. And actually, at about the same time I took on the role, I I had found out I was pregnant with our second. So it enabled me to kind of juggle those two things. It was a bit of a baptism by fire, I have to say. Mm-hmm. So 
within, by the time I left that board about two and a half years later, we had been through three takeover processes. The uh, I was the, the sole remaining member of the board and its chair by the end and we had had two different parties kind of competing for control of the of the company with them then combining together for a joint third bid. So that, that process, you know, the, the saying what doesn't kill you makes you stronger was mm. certainly a bit of an, an eye-opener and a challenge. But having got through it, I thought actually this, this is great in terms of the, the ability to have a role that provides you with that intense kind of uh, sort of intellectual stimulation without requiring me to work a nine-to-five job and in some of the, the kind of more administrative aspects of, of what that jo- what those sorts of jobs might entail. So that, yeah, that was really my starter into governance. And I thought, yep, yeah, this is what I want to do and have been trying to make a career out of it pretty much ever since. Mm. And I'm interested, even though you said, as you said, it was a baptism by fire, you're still keen to continue. So what, what is it that you really enjoy, you really love about being a director? I love the ability to be involved in different organisations at the same time. Mm. The the challenge of thinking about strategic issues and and choices that are available to organisations at that level. I find that you know in order to be able to contribute in that space, there's a lot of thinking and time that you need to put into building your own understanding of those industries and what the various levers are that that make the industry work. So I I certainly really love that aspect of it. For me, it's also great in terms of the ability to balance being with my family with also having that type of a role. So there are some weeks when I either don't have board meetings or perhaps only have one and those weeks I'm at home and able to sort of be actively part of what's going on in my kids' lives. The, the It doesn't, you know, the, the role of being a director has a fair amount of reading involved but not a whole lot of admin and sort of mundane tasks. So that's that also has some appeal mm-hmm. uh, and, and you're sort of your own your own boss, if you like, in terms of you own your your time management and you own your you know your ability to or, or your how much you might want to how much time you might want to spend understanding and delving into particular issues in order to to make sure you you're across them. Mm, mm. And that it definitely sounds like that sense of control, but also that variety and interest. And you talked about that. Absolutely, intellectual stimulation comes with it as well. Abby, I was interested, you obviously started your governance career at a fairly early age. And as you said, you were sort of perhaps the first woman on the first board that you joined. My guess is on a number of boards that you would have been on, you would have been one of, if not the youngest, and in most cases, probably the minority being female. How how have you found that? Um, Yeah, you're right. That has sort of been the the role that I've, tended to fill, less, mm-hmm. less so these days. Look, I think 
over my career in law, and particularly when I was in an in-house role, I always saw that my job was to, as the sort of in-house lawyer, if you like, was to stand up for what was the right outcome or the or to at least be alert to some of the trade-offs that were being made and call those out. And that meant that you weren't always popular and, you know, that, that you had to be prepared to state a position and to call something out even if you thought others wouldn't agree with you or didn't necessarily want that point to be to be highlighted. And I think that's what I've really brought into my role as a director. So, so yes, I've been often the youngest and often the only female. And that probably provides me with a different perspective to the perspective that others may have around the board table. And mm. so I've always seen that my job as a director is to voice my views based on my perspective. And that doesn't mean that I'll be right or that I attempt to convince others that my view is the right view, but it does mean that I, I think the job of a director is to make sure that you are thinking about the issues that are coming before you and bringing the perspective into the board meeting so that the full board has the opportunity to consider all of those perspectives in making any decision. Mm. So it does require a fair degree of bravery, if you like, relative to the norm in a corporate environment where you have to be prepared to to state what you to state your view and to defend that view without the opportunity in advance to check what others' views might be or to or to see how that view might land. You know that, and and that's the job. So, you know, I probably over time had built up that sort of immunity, if you like, to to being too too badly impacted by whether that view was popular with others or not. But it's certainly, I think, the role of the director. Mm, I really, I like that take on it. And I know you and I have had a brief conversation about it earlier on this year. But if if you'd be able to share some of your views. There, certainly in terms of the NZX, there's still a relative lack of of female directors. The last time I looked, I think it was 23%. What do you think could help to to make that shift to bring a bit more balance into into some of the the listed boards? It it seems to be a really hard nut to crack. And in some respects, I, I, you know, I don't, quite understand why it is you know and yet I, I say that and and on one of my boards you know we've we have struggled to get the gender balance that we want to achieve just through being able to find people with the right skill sets however hard we look so I think one of the challenges is that the traditional approach to board recruitment was and certainly when I started as as a director, was very much around, you know, you need a lawyer or you need an accountant and you need somebody with chief executive experience. And it was quite narrow around a skill set approach. And there are still people who will advocate for that type of an approach, although increasingly 
uncommonly. CEO one was a big one because for many years people said, oh, well, you need to have extensive experience as a CEO in a similar organisation and, and the numbers just, I guess, didn't stack up to support women into directorship if that was the recruitment basis. And I still think that, uh, that it's easy for people to be blind to the way in which they are limiting their recruitment options at a directorship level by the way in which they set the criteria. Mm. So it is really important for boards to think really broadly around what skills they actually need and what and how those skills might be demonstrated and not fall into the trap of, of saying, you know, well, they have to have had this role or they have to have you know, had this sort of job title in order for us to consider them. The the other challenge, I think, is that the must-have governance experience, and that's that's a tricky one to overcome. I I have always had a relatively relaxed view on that, in the sense that I think, particular, you know, governance experience is like anything else. And if you've got enough of it around the table already, then not everybody needs to have governance experience. It, mm. it can be learnt along with anything else. That said, it can be a hard transition for people who are used to being in a management role to to make the step to governance and recognise that it requires a different type of input and and the transition to getting out of your own area of expertise and providing a broad-based contribution um, across all areas can be difficult. And so, and it's difficult to judge how well people can make that transition when they haven't made it in, in some governance roles. So, you know, that does still remain something of a challenge, but I think increasingly people are recognising that there are other ways of demonstrating governance and that if people have the skills and attributes that you're looking for, then it's worth taking a bit of a, you know, a risk on somebody who might still need to make that transition to into governance. And I think there are more programs around these days to help people who are in that in-between stage to make that leap. Mm. So, look, I, yeah, in some respects, I, it seems like one of those things that we really just should have cracked by now and, mm. I, and I do think it's getting better, but it, I'm increasingly coming to the view that, that quotas are a good tool for us to use to get after that because I, I think that and there are some groups that until they are forced to confront the need for diverse thinking won't necessarily embrace it. And it, it you know, it can be difficult for people who are who are more used to boardroom environments being collegial and agreeable and supportive of other directors and and simply challenging to management, then it makes it more difficult to be in an environment like that where there is challenge around the board table and you know some people would would not actively seek that out or realize the value that comes from that until they are in a situation where they've seen that value demonstrated mm. so 
So, yeah, some kind of mandate may may end up being the only option. And it's a really interesting point, the one you make around diversity doesn't necessarily make for collegial conversations. It often makes one Mm. where people have very different perspectives and meetings therefore might take longer because of it, Um, Mm. which which is not always a a popular route. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, quotas, I know, Mm. are debated around the world as, as an option. They, in some ways, I guess seem a bit of a blunt tool, but also can make a fundamental shift in a fairly short period of time and probably tackle that issue of getting a broader range of people governance experience to help to help fill some of those gaps. Oh, interesting. And mm, Abby, mm. as you look back at your at your career, what have been some of your toughest challenges from a career perspective? Look, I, I guess some of those you know, we well, we talked about the the, the takeover period um, in, in my first role. I think there's probably a few experiences that I've had along the way which have seemed really really hard at the time, and yet have enabled me to to build my skill set and confidence based on those. So, you know, I in my first in-house role, I got thrown relatively quickly into a very very large transaction. So that was way back in the days of telecom and, and it was the biggest private deal ever done out of New Zealand at the time. Mm. So trying to, to be across the legal aspects of all of that, which, you know, was challenging in, in, that, in the role that I had there. And again, I was relatively young relative to my peers in relation to that role. And also, you know, for me anyway, taking on the role as chair of Z Energy a year ago was, or certainly the, the last year for us has been challenging as mm-hmm. a result of, of mainly market conditions, but also the need to reflect on what we as an organisation could have done differently and how we're going to position ourselves going forward. So there's certainly a few challenges in there along with the feeling that you get as chair of, you know, the buck stops with me in a way that that perhaps is not felt so keenly when you're a director and and a member of the board without being chair. Mm -mm, I can imagine. Um, If I turn the question, I guess, on the other side, Ben, what might be some of your proudest career moments? Well, getting through all those things, (laughs) still being here to tell the tale. Yeah, look, I I guess my orientation towards my career has always been more about what can I learn from mm. things as opposed to career highlights. So I I'm not I'm not so driven by the things that might look to be the markers of success in a directorship career. So, you know, if you like, it's not so much being made the chair of Z that, that I see as the market. It's it's the doing a good job of being a chair at Z, you know, and actually really tackling some of those harder issues and, and leaving the organization better off. So it's a continual kind of exercise and, and trying to do the best that I can as opposed to marking off particular career highlights that, that might appear to others to be markers of success. Mm, mm, I like that. And I like that approach to the chair role. It's actually not about being the chair. It's about what you've, you're learning through it and how you, mm. you're making the organisation better as a result. Yeah. And looking to the future then, Abby, where might you see your career heading in the future? 
probably more of the same. And again, you know, the driver for me is who, you know, again, I don't have an aspiration based on, you know, size of company or or type of role or, you know, doing the same thing in a different country. It, it's to me the what's interesting is the nature of the strategic challenge that different organisations face and the group of people around the table who you get to have those discussions with. So if anything, I've probably over time become more focused on the importance for me personally of being surrounded by a group of people who share the same sort of high expectations and or aspirations to to keep doing a better job day after day mm. as opposed to to accepting um, a certain level and, and then sticking with that. So that I'm probably driven more by finding that sort of an environment than I am by um, any other kind of aspect or, or nature of, of a position. Mm, yep, that makes a lot of sense. And if you were giving some career advice either to to girls or to women at any stage of their career, what might be some of the pieces of career advice that you would give? Well, I guess the first thing I'd say would be to take any opportunity that presents itself and mm. throw yourself at it and do your absolute best at it because you'd be surprised at how many times those those opportunities pay you back for more than what what you put in. I'd also say, you know, not to not to limit yourself or, or to think that there's only one pathway to where you want to get to. So, you know, I, people probably thought it was unusual of me to to quit my jobs and say I'm going to stay at home with my kids and do that because I couldn't see how to how I would manage what I wanted to do in terms of my input into my children's life with the type of job that I'd had before. But to me, it was important that I found a way to make that balance as opposed to trying to make both work in an environment where I felt that just was likely to be untenable given the nature of the jobs that I'd had previously. So in some respects, I guess I backed myself to find a solution to that and maybe I was lucky and I know some people have, you know, do find that challenging to get back into the workforce after they've had kids but it, it certainly worked for me and I, I feel I've been able to have, you know, quite a significant involvement in my children's life as well as having a great career that challenges me so, you know, I'm sure it's it's really possible to find those solutions out there if you sort of back yourself and keep working at things. And, you know, I think the thing that's made the biggest difference for me personally as I've made my way through governance careers is really just giving every role my best and and, and seeing it as a real opportunity to learn but also to, you know, to really just make sure I'm putting my best foot forward and being diligent and, and, and contributing. And I think that over time that sort of approach has really paid off for me in terms of creating the, the next step for me and into the next role. Mm, great. Abby, that's wonderful advice. Thank you. And thank you for sharing that with us along with your career journey as well and some of the ups and downs that have come along the way.
No problem. You always uh, you always think of your own career journey as being quite boring. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm sure there's there's lots of value. I certainly wouldn't say it was <laughs> was boring. Uh, and the reality is is that you are still one of a handful of female chairs of, on the NZX, and that in itself. Is... Yeah. Well, let's hope that changes. <laughs> Exactly, but I think therefore if if there are other women sitting there thinking actually that might be something I'd like to do one day, hearing your path and some of the things that you've come across along the way and the advice that you have, I'm sure that will be be absolutely helpful. So thank you. Great, thank you Anna and they should go for it. Cheers, thank you. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.